Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? I had a wonderful time in Chicago with my son and got to see Hamilton on Tuesday night and I'm over the moon. It, it was it was incredible, Amy. That's great. You know, I saw it last fall. It came to Durham and it is a wonderful show. I was really excited that you and Ethan were getting to go and do that uh, because I know it was fantastic. Yes, uh, he had an absolute blast seeing his face light up watching that. It was just incredible. So we had, we had great seats up in the mezzanine and truly enjoyed it. I had really high expectations going into it. I told you that, that it was going to just knock my socks off. It exceeded the expectations. So Yes, that was my experience as well with that show. Yes, that was fantastic. If it comes anywhere near where you are, I, I highly recommend it. It was, it was just phenomenal. Just a, a great piece of art, drama, and music. So... Uh, just a, a phenomenal evening and a great trip with my son celebrating his 15th birthday. That's exciting. Um, yeah, everyone should see it. I love to see musicals and I'm always kind of fascinated by the sets or by the actors, by the music. This was the first one that I could not stop thinking about what tremendous writing yes, I was absolutely. taking in. I just could not get over it. The storytelling was just phenomenal. Yes. From start to finish, it it just, it, there was no slow points. It was just bang, bang, bang. It just kept hitting right. with the, the, the lyrics. And, and many people, you know, it's been out for a few years. Many people have listened to the soundtrack. They know the lyrics. They know the, the sound, the songs or whatever. But seeing it live just takes it to a different level. It, it, was, yes. it was insane. Yes. All right, Amy, we are only about uh, 10 or 11 days from the SBC annual meeting where we will be in the room where it happens. I'm getting geared up for Birmingham now, now that Hamilton's in the rear view. It's Birmingham time now. All all focus is locked in for Birmingham in just a few days. And if you're in Birmingham with us, you need to swing by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary booth located in the exhibit hall where they're going to be giving away 500 free copies of Dr. Moeller's latest book, The Apostles' Creed, Discovering Authentic Christianity in an Age of Counterfeits. Got some big news from Southern Seminary later in the show, but at the top, we do want to thank them each and every week for sponsoring us here on SBC This Week. Yeah, so I can't believe it's almost here. It's less than two weeks away. We're recording this on Friday. So tomorrow, Saturday, I mean, it'll be a week away from my trek down to Birmingham. Same. So it's countdown mode. Yes, it is. Starting to pack, starting to get everything ready to go. And it's hard to believe that we're almost there. So this time next week, we'll be really gearing up for it, Amy. But before we get there, we have some news we want to jump into this week. The executive committee has released a statement late Thursday night of this week Uh, saying that they may revise the sexual abuse prevention proposals uh, that they had kind of brought in February. We'd kind of heard rumblings of this, didn't know what was going to happen. Now we have some more clarity on things. So, Amy, walk us through that release, exactly what they're saying there. The big component of this is a standing credentials committee proposal. That's correct. So, first off, on the constitutional amendment, in February, the executive committee passed a recommendation for a constitutional amendment that would expand upon the examples that would expand upon churches that are not in friendly cooperation and would include those who are indifferent to abuse. And also it included uh, those who are in, who express any form of racism. We had that in February. That amendment was, was very detailed, had four sub points on the abuse uh, section and it looks like there may be a revision that will come to the executive committee with a you know consideration to revise that. So they passed a recommendation in February, but it seems after some reflection, the officers are going to bring a consideration to the full executive committee that that amendment will be really shorter. It will say the convention will only deem a church to be in friendly cooperation with the convention and sympathetic with its purposes and work, which does not act in a manner inconsistent with the convention's beliefs regarding sexual abuse and 
does not act to affirm, approve, or endorse discriminatory behavior on the basis of ethnicity. And that it's just those things are left. It's just really simplifying the language on the constitutional side, as opposed to laying out all of these, you know, different things. So that's going to come to the executive committee to see what they will do with it. And if they pass that revision, then that will come to the messengers on Tuesday of the convention. And remember, a constitutional amendment has to be passed two years by a two-thirds majority. So this is not something that would be added if it goes through all of the process. It's not something that would be added to the Constitution this year. This would be the first step in that. But the second piece of news, which is really a little bit bigger and needs to be looked at for the consideration of executive committee members and of messengers, is this standing credentials committee that you just mentioned. So that would be a bylaw amendment. Bylaw amendments also require two-thirds approval, but not for two years in a row. The only ones that require two years in a row are the ones that deal with the names of institutions. Um, But a bylaw amendment like this, two-thirds majority vote if it goes to the messengers, and then it would stand. So what this would establish is we have a credentials committee that exists basically for the time that the convention is in session to help deal with uh, registration questions and the seating of of messengers. The idea is that this actually splits that out and creates what's called a registration committee that in a sense fulfills that role. The credentials committee becomes a standing committee that does the work all the time throughout the year when any questions arise about whether or not a church is in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. So they would actually be tasked with handling questions that arise about if a church, you know, should should be in good standing, if they should be disfellowship, things like that. And so it's a, it's a pretty lengthy proposal. The Baptist press release has an explanation. It has some, some quotes and statements. And then it also has the, the full bylaw recommendation at the bottom. The ERLC has also released a guide to understanding the credentials committee proposal. It's basically kind of an FAQ. What is it? What's the purpose? What are the main concepts? What does it not do? Uh, all of those things are very helpful. It, it talks about what are there any areas of potential confusion? And so answer some of those questions. Both the Baptist Press article and the ERLC article, I think, will be very helpful to those of us who are heading to Birmingham or even not just to be informed about it. But we have to remember the steps in this. So the executive committee received this before the release, the, and they will have the next several days to look at it. If, you know, if they have questions, they can, can interact the way that they do. Then when they come on Monday to their plenary session, this would be something that I believe the administrative committee would deal with in the morning on Monday. And then the plenary session is where the full executive committee would address this. If it passes that, then in the executive committee report on Tuesday, that will be the moment for the messengers to consider it. So we have a handful of steps to get through before we actually reach finality on this bylaw amendment. But because it is so detailed, education needs to start today. People need to know what they are voting on. So if you're listening, go and check this out. The links are in the show notes. But also, if you know people who will be coming to the convention, uh, make sure they know because informed messengers uh, are kind of the key to this. People need to know what we're talking about before they go into that room. Absolutely. And they're going to need to add some galley seats, I think, for the administrative committee meeting on early on Monday morning because there's going to be a lot of interest in that. So I, sure. I know there'll probably be a lot of media for that as well as just interested Southern Baptist, you know, watching and, and seeing what's going on in that. If I remember correctly, and I could be wrong about this, but that the plenary session should be interesting because you and I have been to the executive committee plenary sessions in the past. They're usually in a large room and people are just kind of around in extra seats, sometimes standing against the wall. I think that this may be in the theater style room. Oh, that uh, which means which means once it fills up, obviously the executive committee will be seated down to the front, then other people in there. If it fills up, 
you know, just folks trying to to be where they can hear. So I don't know if the seats will fill up, but they might. So that that could be interesting. But Monday's plenary session becomes very important. And that is something that Southern Baptists can come and listen to before the meeting starts on Tuesday. Yes. And if you can't get in, come watch us on the CP stage because that's where we'll be. Right. We won't be in there at the at the time. It's, so it's like, well, okay. So right. we'll but we'll have people in the room. I'm sure we'll know what's going on in right. there. So right. uh, it, it, but yes, uh, know about these before you get to Birmingham. Educate yourself. Be able to, uh, you know, share the links with your friends. Let them know what's going on. Kind of give them an update because, uh, you know, a lot of people may just be thinking where nothing's changed since February. Uh, but it looks like a lot has changed here. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show so we get to some of the other points. But there's also a news story out, Amy. We just uh, got this this morning. We're recording this day of today. A news story from the Houston Chronicle in their Abuse of Faith series this one on IMB missionaries, uh, they chronicle, uh, I think, five specific missionaries here. More of the issue here seems to be how it was handled uh, rather than the number of cases. Uh, so walk us through this new story from the Houston Chronicle. Right. So this dropped on Friday morning. Uh, one thing I noticed, which I'm just speculating here, but this is part four of their series and uh, there were some kind of side stories, but it, they are treating it like a series. And at the top, it says fourth of six parts. So that ha- has caught my attention. So I don't know if we're going to be looking for a part five and part six. Um, we, you know, we'll, we'll have to be attentive to that. But this really details some specific stories from uh, the International Mission Board of missionaries on the field who were found to be abusing children. I think one was maybe was in a situation with an adult, but was was still a pretty bad one. I'm not going to go into the details of what those stories are. It also covered the Mark Adderholt case, which we have talked about a lot on the podcast. It deals with some individual stories. What we need to remember is these are the stories that have come to the Houston Chronicle, either things that they had investigated or things that I don't know if they got tips from people. I'm not really sure. But uh, five men were credibly accused or convicted of abusing about 24 people, mostly children, court records, documents, and interviews show. So it's five, and then we have the Mark Adderholt case. So it kind of covered six different situations in this story. The challenge is not in the number. Uh, the The angle to the story is really in how these were handled. And when the information came that in a lot of cases, public statements were not made to alert others, or even in some cases, it looks like privately people were not alerted. And that at times people were allowed to resign or maybe they were terminated, but Nothing was really done, and they went into to settings where they had exposure to children. So these these are situations in the past, but the, it demonstrates a pattern that is very troubling, and it's it's hard to see, especially as we are we are processing a lot of things. We are trying to figure out what to do. Um, the IMB just had their report that came out last week, I believe. Uh, the, all these weeks are running together, Jonathan. So I'm trying to have uh, the timing in my head. But the IMB. Yes, it was last week. We covered it on last week's show. Right. The IMB released the report from that investigation. Obviously, we have this story that we just covered about Standing Credentials Committee, which that deals with cooperation of churches. So we have entities and uh, committees and, and people who are trying to figure out how to deal with this moving forward. But as this story builds, we as Southern Baptists are learning more details about just how uh, bad it it has been. And... Uh, to be honest, Jonathan, I don't have a lot of great analysis on this ex- because I've just read the story in the last couple of hours. Um, I'm just incredibly sad right now. Yes. And I can't, you know, I, I, I think there may be more to process. And I'm not sure if we were to go right into a mode to say, okay, this is what it means and here's what we do. I'm not sure that's actually the best reaction right now. Um, 
anyway, because the gravity of this is just so great. Um, but this is not a situation where we just look and say, oh, well, what do the statistics say? It's only this many, and how many missionaries have we had? We, we really have to process what this showed about patterns. Yeah, uh, it was the of, systemic of issue more than the, the number of people. Right, that when, it, that when a revelation came, how we handled it, from an organizational standpoint, we, we just have to reckon with that. And, and that's something that we discussed last week when we saw the release about the external investigation that had gone on. It was it left us with some questions of, okay, you know, what's the scope of this? What, what some kind of specifics? What, what was the law firm really talking about? Because they, they made these recommendations to policies. We didn't really have the context of why. And, and this kind of shows more of the why here. Uh, and the, the systemic issues uh, that were present and, and some of the things that Dr. Chitwood and the IMB are looking to correct. And there has to be a willingness for us to both try to look at what we do from this point forward, but also to let the seriousness and the gravity and the pain sit on us when we learn about these things from the past. Um, I think our, re- our reaction, maybe a lot of things, but in, this is just my opinion. Uh, one thing it can't be is to say, well, that was in the past. We're trying to do the right thing now and to move on. We have to feel this and to recognize that there are a number of people, whether it's these situations from churches or whether it's on the mission field. Some of the, These were missionary kids that this this happened to. This is their story. They're walking around out there right now, and this is their story that they have lived with. And so there is some some seriousness in us being willing to sort of take take that burden uh, for a moment and just to recognize it. I know there will be times in the meeting where we are reflecting on that and that's going to be hard. That will not be easy at all. Uh, but we have to be willing to sort of lean into that, I think. Yes, absolutely. And also Amy, the EC and the IMB aren't the only organizations addressing this, uh, you know, as long as ERLC and a lot of our institutions, the SBCAL at their meeting will also be voting on a document on the prevention of abuse of minors. So they announced that this week in cooperation with the officers of the Southern Baptist Convention Fellowship of State Executive Directors. They are bringing forth a document entitled Encouragements to Association, State Conventions, and Churches Regarding Abuse of Minors. They have put that on their website at the uh, the SBCAL site uh, that you can read the full thing uh, at sbcassociations.org slash vote.html. So the link's in the story. Uh, but we're seeing this expand out of the normal organizations that we would think would be dealing with this. We're seeing other organizations saying, yes, this is a problem. Yes, this is something we need to resource our churches better on. So this is just another step that we're taking uh, and a good step by the SBCAL that we will see brought to their meeting next week. Right. I think one thing we are beginning to see is uh, because of our structure, because we are cooperative in nature, there's no hierarchy or system of, of authority. That means at the church level, at the local association level, at the state convention level, and at the national level, these things all have to be addressed. But all of those groups have to address them individually. So with no, no one can force the other. So what we have to do is all be willing to step up. And do this together, every component. And I think that is part of what we are seeing, that we're seeing associational leaders do this. We've we've tracked a lot of state conventions that have been taking this seriously in different ways. Um, churches are addressing this in very serious ways. And then we have things like the the church cares um, curriculum that is is coming, ways for churches to learn how they can handle these things. Uh, better. So we are all stepping up. One thing we have to remember is we, we can at times think, okay, what is the next issue of the day and what do we do about it? And then let's move on. And when it comes to this, as we are seeing systemic issues, those things require systemic response. And that means this is not the end. This is the beginning. Absolutely. So yeah, we were just in the beginning of what to do about this. And one of the things that was mentioned in the first story that we talked about was the creation of the Standing Credentials Committee. The role of the registration secretary will be expanded. And we have another registration secretary nominee, Amy, Miss Kathy Litton, a good friend of the pod and the director of Planter Spouse Development for the North American Mission Board, also the spouse of 
Ed Litton, pastor down in the Mobile, Alabama area. It has been announced that Kathy will be a nominee for registration secretary. Get to use our ballots again, Amy. Yes. So this is the second contested election that we know of. We always like to remind nominations have all the way up until about five, ten minutes before uh, to be added. So sometimes we are not expecting any more than one and six people show up. Typically, they get announced ahead of time because it just allows people to know. So we know going in at this stage that we have for president, first vice president and second vice president. We only know of one nominee in those. For recording secretary, uh, we know of two that will be nominated, John Yates and Eddie Eaton. For registration secretary, it was announced a couple of weeks ago that Don Currents would be nominated for a third term. Uh, he's the current registration secretary, and now Jimmy Scroggins has announced he will nominate Kathy Litton for registration secretary. So... That actually does become interesting. First of all, like you said, we get to use our ballots twice. And then second, the registration secretary role, if the credentials committee bylaw amendment goes all the way through, will be expanded because that role at this time oversees the tellers and the current credentials committee. But in this case, that role would oversee the tellers, the newly uh, named registration committee which functions like the current credentials committee and the registration secretary would be on the new standing credentials committee. So a little bit of an expanded role there, but we will have, as you said, a chance to use our ballots. Yes, we will, Amy. And we'll also maybe even get to ride shuttles in Birmingham. They have announced, uh, we talked about it on our big SBC preview episode that we dropped earlier on Memorial Day. Uh, but we also have all the shuttle and parking information. There's a big release about that. So if you missed the the preview episode, go back and listen to that, number one. But number two, check out the hotel shuttle stuff uh, from Baptist Press if you're not staying at the convention hotel or downtown. So uh, there are some free hotel shuttles and park and ride services. So that information in a post from Baptist Press, you can check that out over on the links in the show notes. Also, some news from... It seems like every educational institution in the SBC, Amy. So we're going to yeah, go through so these pretty quick. Yes, we got a lot quick. of seminary news. Well, yes, we do. And we've also got an interview with J.D. Greer coming up in a few minutes we have to make some time for. So University of Mobile has named Lonnie Burnett as their interim president. The interim appointment went into effect May 28th and will continue for a term of 16 months. So congratulations to Lonnie Burnett on being named the interim president down at University of Mobile. And maybe we'll be able to say hello to him at the University of Mobile booth. I wonder if the uh, the possible. singers will be there this year. I'm sure they will be. The, yeah, the Mobile, the sounds of Mobile. Is that, is that the yes. name? Is that the right name? I would imagine they are just because we're in Alabama. We're in Alabama. So Alabama. University of Mobile will have a Probably a, a little bit bigger presence yeah. than even normal. So you, you can't have a Baptist meeting in Alabama without the sounds of Mobile, right? That's right. So a 16-month term, I think, means that they are looking to have their new president in place by the fall of 2020. That's the if I'm if I'm calculating that right, that's what they're they're trying to do is to spend the next academic year on their presidential search. Yeah, they're basically saying, Lonnie Burnett, you lead the 2019-2020 academic year, and we'll have somebody in place to lead going forward after that. Yes, so. yes. All right, some news from your neck of the woods, Amy, that actually kind of involves me as well. Southeastern yes. announced this week that they're going to partner with the Revitalized Network and Church Answers to offer some courses in a new Master of Arts in Church Revitalization. Yeah, this is really exciting. So uh, it's kind of cool. And in a sense, it brings Church Answers and the Revitalized Network to be a, a crucial part of the whole degree. So it's a 37-hour degree, the MA in Church Revitalization. Um, a number of those hours are just kind of the the MA core. So those are classes that people can take on campus, online, and, you know, some of the hybrid formats, things like that. But then there are some specialty courses that are really specific to church revitalization. And those are where there's some great opportunities for these ministry-focused courses. There's one on church revitalization. Uh, there's a practicum on knowing your church and community. So it's kind of an assessment-related one. The leader and church revitalization and organizational change and conflict resolution. The ones on leadership for church revitalization and knowing your church and community practicum are going to be offered 
in conjunction with the Revitalize Conference. So people will actually get to participate in some of the great things that are happening with Church Answers and the Revitalize Network. They'll get to train with people like John Ewart, Chuck Lawless, Sam Rayner, Tom Rayner, Brad Wagoner, uh, real experts in the field as they get some of these core classes, you know, Old and New Testament you know, Baptist history, Christian theology, things like that. So it's a really great all-encompassing degree. Uh, and also there is a specialization in the MDiv that requires those. So people can, if they want to do the MDiv, that's great. They can do this, these courses with Church Answers and Revitalize Network as well. So we are very excited to announce that. Yeah. So you can get an MDiv with a concentration in Church Revitalization. Is that, that how that yes. works? That's cool. Yes. I didn't know about that. Yeah. And, and get, and, and the, the real key part is they get to be with the students really get to be with the experts in this. All right. Some faculty shifting. We talked a couple of them last week. We have more. Southwestern announced the hiring of Greg Wills to join the faculty and lead the BH Carroll Center for Baptist Heritage and Mission. Wills is one of the leading Baptist historians, and he wrote the history of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and published that about a decade ago. And then also, I mean, he's like the name in Southern Baptist history. So uh, congratulations to him and his move to Fort Worth. But in Louisville, Matt Boswell, Andrew Walker, and J. Keith McKinley have all joined the faculty of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Matt Boswell will come on as the assistant professor of church music and worship. Now, he's a pastor of Trails Church in Prosper, Texas. He's going to stay there, so it'll be kind of a back-and-forth situation for him, teaching different seminars and things like that on worship. Andrew Walker, also at the ERLC, many of you would know him and his work uh, with the ERLC, going to work in the Christian Ethics and Public Theology area. He'll be the assistant professor of Christian ethics and apologetics, uh, but he will also stay in his role at the ERLC and and teach up at Southern as an assistant professor. But J. Keith McKinley, a seasoned IMB missionary, will be joining the school. Uh, He's spent 34 years in Bangladesh with the IMB, uh, so he'll be teaching on missions as the associate professor of Christian missions. Yes, and one thing I think to remember, we you know we put these out, and it's like, oh my goodness, what is happening with all of these schools? But this is the time of year for that type of transition. Most people who join faculty they start in you know either June one or July one, something like that. So this is a really common thing to see. But these are some really exciting ones, and I am. Actually, you know, some of these have gotten a lot of attention. Greg Wills was was a big one. Matt Boswell. I am excited to see the announcement about Keith McKinley. Now, I don't know him, but he comes from, you know, the story talks about he comes from a rich family heritage of missions. And his father, Jim McKinley, was an IMB missionary in Bangladesh for 34 years. Jim McKinley, as Dr. Moeller says in the story, was one of the iconic missionaries among Southern Baptists in the 20th century. Well, when he retired from the IMB, he came back and actually did a D-Men at Southern Seminary. And he was in his, I think he was in his 80s. This is Keith McKinley's dad. I think he was in his 80s when he did the D-Men, maybe his 70s. And he needed some assistance with, really with the new style formatting papers, the way that computers, you know, word processing was doing. And so he needed to hire someone to help format all of his papers. And that was me. So I used to do that for Keith McKinley's dad, Jim McKinley. And Keith and I got to know him and his wife. And they had us in their home. We have some things that they gave the children when the children were really small sent to us in Virginia. And so this is a great legacy. I love this announcement to see that Jim McKinley's son is going to contribute to Southern Seminary in this way. So I'm really excited. Uh, what I heard you say is that you you wrote his dad's papers for him. I absolutely did not write his dad's papers, <laughs> but his dad did bring to me typed. I want to say they were typed on a typewriter, maybe, and I would turn around and do them on my computer. I, I want to say something like that, I, but I would format everything. and. It was all, there were lots of things from his time on the mission field, his understanding of missiology. I was very, very blessed 
from getting to learn from his dad in that way. But anyway, what a legacy. And this is great that it will carry on at Southern Seminary. All right, that's going to do it for the news this week and bring us to our interview with the president, J.D. Greer. Uh, We sat down with him earlier this week and got his thoughts on his first year as the SBC president. And here is our interview with Dr. Greer. Our guest today on SBC This Week is the current SBC president, Dr. J.D. Greer, the pastor of the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. J.D., thanks for joining us again this year. Thank you, Jonathan. Glad to be with you guys. Now, we are... uh, Talking to you at the end of your first year as uh, the SBC president in Birmingham, the annual meeting is in just a couple of weeks. And, and from we what have- I understand, it could be the end of the presidency altogether because <laughs> I'll be reelected for the second term, but I think it's the halfway point. So Very clear. That's good. You're clear on, on procedure and how yes. this works. Yes, so. very clear. So let's uh, let's just talk a little bit about your first year as SBC president. We talked to you last year on the podcast right before you were elected uh, when you were a candidate. So looking back over your first year as SBC president, it's been uh, quite an eventful year. We've had a lot going on in the SBC. Uh, we cover it each and every week here on the podcast. So we, we know as well as anybody does how much that's gone on in the SBC this year. So give us kind of your first impressions over your first year as SBC president. Yeah, you know, I'd say my first thing comes into my heart is just how encouraged I am at what God is doing among Southern Baptist people. You know, there's that verse at the end of the Gospel of John where John says, you know, there are many mighty words that Jesus did. And if um, they were all written down, all the books in all the world wouldn't be able to contain them. And it's kind of what you feel. I mean, you, you know, the Southern Baptist or- Convention is a large organization with a lot of churches and a lot of believers. But then you have the, you know, the privilege from a position like this to to meet people you <laughs> you didn't really know existed doing things that are just amazing. Um, it's been it's been encouraging to me how quickly um, Southern Baptists have rallied to, I mean, rank and file Southern Baptists have rallied to the things that I feel like God put on my heart, um, which, you know, just the gospel above all that, you know, they're, they're like, this is the message. This is a message that, that we need to be gospel priority people where it's our identity and it's, you know, what it's our identity and it's the, the basis of our mission and the basis of our unity. Um, you know, realizing that, that we're never going to be greater. We're never going to be stronger than our emphasis on personal in the evangelism, um, church planning, in the diversity stuff. That's been amazing to me how people have responded to that. Um, you know, just recognizing that um, we're in a place where um, we need the, the wisdom of our brothers and sisters of color going forward if we're going to um, be able to, to go forward effectively into the, into the future. So, as you know, I've done the, one of the primary tasks of the president which is selecting people on the committee on committees and some of the other things that I directly appoint, just I'm realizing there's a whole swath of, of Southern Baptists out there that hadn't previously been engaged, but are very energetic about it. And are just kind of, you know, waiting to be tapped, you know, waiting to be called upon. I, I think 80% of the appointments that I've made are people that haven't served before um, in, in, in that kind of capacity. So I'm just, I'm encouraged. One of the things that I felt like this was one of my six things, one of them was, calling another generation forward in um, to, to engage with the SBC as if it is their own and not just that of their parents. I've definitely seen a willingness to do that. So I, I'm encouraged. I um, mean, there's some thin challenges, obviously, and I guess we'll probably talk about a few of those. But um, on the whole, I, just, I really sense, uh, you know, to use the words of C.S. Lewis, Aslan is on the move. And it's, I've seen him at work in the, in the SBC. Nice. Well, what what are some things that we can expect in Birmingham when we gather together? What are things you are really looking forward to uh, and, and what you want Southern Baptists to take away? Uh, yeah, good question. I First of all, turnout has been really encouraging. Uh, you know, it's kind of like you think Birmingham, that's not like the center, not the biggest city. And so people think like, well, is it, is it going to be a well-attended convention? Um, it's just, I mean, right now, I mean, just based on what it looks like, it looks like we're going to have a, just a really, a really good, uh, group that's going to come there. I hope people come ready to, um, you know, embrace and kind of consider some difficult things with the ACP report that came out and just, you know, kind of uh, acknowledging that facts are our friends and, uh, all these things should make us ask questions about, you know, are we doing things as effectively as we can and what, what's missing and, in, in our ministry and what could help us be more effective. I'm hoping they come uh, ready uh, to, to hear uh, direct truth, good gospel teaching. I hope they come ready with, you know, bring their faith um, to 
you know, ask God what he wants to do and be ready to go there. Um, I hope they, uh, I hope that we can, for the days that we do crossover and the days of the convention that Birmingham, when we leave, will say, it's been a while since we've had a group of people come in that, that loved us and loved the city so much. Hey, one of the things I'll probably say at the convention is, um, you know, generosity starts with the restaurants you eat at. I'm hoping no Southern Baptist leaves a restaurant that doesn't leave a, a minimum 20% tip um, and just says, hey, we're here to bless you guys. We're hoping to be able to bless the mayor, the people, of course, blessing most of all with the, with the gospel that we share with them, but also with the actions um, of love that we have. So it's going to be a good few days. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. So when you when you look back over the first year, you know, as we get into Birmingham, maybe some of the highs and lows that you've seen uh, as SBC president, maybe if you can get into specifics. Yeah, well, so, you know, I mentioned this earlier, just uh, all these things that I didn't know, you know, existed. I mean, relief work, I knew, I knew relief work existed, but having a chance to, I got to lead our staff, um, uh, you know, a couple hundred of our, our team members here just to be involved in some of the incredible um, Baptist relief work that took place because of a hurricane that happened here. Um, to, you know, um, I got to speak at some associational meetings and um, even one of my first meetings was sitting around the room with a bunch of um, uh, executive directors of state conventions and just hearing their heart. One of the things I've realized as president is it's easy for me to, to preach and announce themes and, you know, start initiatives and that kind of stuff. But ultimately it is local associations, it's state conventions, it's entities. Most of all, it's it's ordinary pastors, so to speak, who are going to they're going to be the ones that make any initiative that we come up with. They're going to be the one that actually makes it makes it work. Um, and yeah, I've just been I've been I've been moved by the willingness and the readiness of people to engage of Southern Baptists to engage in these things. So that that's definitely been a high for me. And um, I, I feel like I'm more encouraged about being a Southern Baptist. Yes. Anytime you got a large group of people, we're going to have our own, you know, conflicts and we're going to have divisions that we think don't really need to be there. But um, I, I think on the whole, seeing the unity of Southern Baptist around the gospel and just an honest desire to see it go forward into the next generation. I sense a greater willingness to do that than I do resistance from, you know, what it will, you know, requires in terms of change and, and tweaking or, you know, how we're going to how we're going to do it. So that, that definitely would be high. And you mentioned the ACP numbers earlier, but what have maybe been some of the low points and how do we how do you encourage us to deal with those as Southern Baptists? Well, it's you can't talk about a low point without acknowledging this just, you know, horrific thing of, of the sexual abuse reports. I mean, we knew we knew that this was an issue um, when I got elected. You know, the first thing forming this sexual abuse advisory group, the reason that we did that is because we just heard enough stories to know that, hey, we need to make sure that that Southern Baptist churches are are places that prioritize the safety of the victim and the vulnerable. Um, and you know, just getting into as that group is just look through our processes and ask some of the questions. I mean, yeah, it's difficult to hear about people that um, that that reported abuse in a Southern Baptist church and it wasn't handled correctly. It was silenced. It was handled internally. It was, you know, sometimes uh, minimized or brushed aside. And that's just that's been very, very difficult. I, I will say, Amy, that um, I, you know, as, as I've taught with pastors about this, I mean, the, the, the Southern Baptist pastor's response to this has just been, look, we, we want our churches to be safe places. We, we, uh, we, as, as we learn more about, about how unintentionally, you know, a safe haven can be given to predators and predators can go from church to church. It, it just breaks their heart. Cause what, I mean, what true pastor is there that doesn't, want to see his people and his sheep protected. And so even in the midst of some of the difficult stories that we've had to, to hear, um, I've been encouraged by the willingness of, of Southern Baptists to just encounter these things and to, to be honest about them. I mean, um, you know, honesty about our shortcomings is the beginning of the path to, to real change. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a mechanism in all of us that wants to defend and wants to say, well, you know, you're making it out that it's worse than it is. Um, I, I've just recognized that that is not, first of all, that's not accurate, that even one, um, even one uh, of these cases happening in a church is, is a terrible sin against the gospel. And, you know, if we are, are appointed by God to be shepherds in his church, then, then we're going to have to be ones who demonstrate the gospel by showing that we're willing to do what it takes to make our church a safe places for the vulnerable. I, yeah, I've been saying over the last few months that this is a gospel issue. 
Uh, there is a small, and I'd say a very small group of Southern Baptist churches that say, well, you know, this is a distraction that's keeping us off the message. It's keeping us off the mission. And my response has been, no, this is a gospel issue for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a gospel issue because um, our God is a God who gave his life to protect the vulnerable. Um, what, what greater distortion could we put out of the gospel than that we're not willing to do what it takes to protect the vulnerable? I mean, Jesus told us that there would be shepherds that would come into the flock that would not have the interest of the flock at heart. What, how could we be unaware that, that that would happen in Southern Baptist churches? And how could we not say, you know, we're, we want um, those who um, are learning about the gospel in our churches, we want them to sense the protection that God gives to those who come to him for, for, for refuge. Um, that's one reason. The other reason it's a gospel issue is, I mean, you just look at what's happened in other denominations that have not taken this seriously and tried to brush it under the rug or handle it internally. Um, I mean, you know, millennials and the coming generation are just not going to go to churches where places are not going to go to any place where they feel like um, this is not taken seriously and we're not um, we're not going to do what it takes to to expose abusers and to protect protect the vulnerable. So um, it is a gospel issue. And it's certainly been um, a struggle. It's been very weighty. It's something that has uh, kept me up at night a lot, and 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 you know caused a lot of long and difficult meetings as we process through it. But I, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged that in the honesty of confession and the humility of repentance, um, God guides those who look to Him for for help and for refuge. And so um, it's been a low point, but it's also pointing to I think um, better days for us as we as we learn from those we need to learn from and and take steps of faith and boldness to move forward. Now, back to the convention, we uh, something new that you've done this year is schedule three panels. And I wanted to just kind of get your thoughts on why those three panels and why those three topics. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly what order they fall in in the convention, but you know, one is on just the, the, the question of uh, race and empowerment and the fact of, uh, you know, what, what does Southern Baptists need to do so that our leadership reflects uh, the diversity that God's put in our body. And that's one of them. You know, what, what is it that, um, you know, Southern Baptists have unfortunately a, um, a checkered history, so to speak, when it comes to racial uh, questions. I mean, going back to even the beginning of the SBC and, um, and it's uh, just the sin of, of, of turning a blind eye uh, toward, toward slavery. Um, you know, some of our absence in the civil rights movement and all those kind of things and say, well, what, what are the issues that are upon us now? And why don't people, of color feel feel embraced by the SBC and how do we have you know the right kind of leadership um, going into that into that that's um that's the first panel is just having some questions about that I mean you know I, I've I've been telling people that of all the churches we planted last year sixty three percent of them of New Southern Baptist churches were led by leaders of color um, you know twenty percent of our our denomination is are, are, are people of color and so um, it's time for them to to embrace this as their convention and that starts with us us and the majority culture listening. Um, panel number two is, is basically, uh, we're just calling a gospel above, above all, keeping the secondary issues secondary. Um, you know, we are a people that are very committed to, um, sometimes it's uh, a political uh, agenda. Sometimes it's, you know, um, points of theology that are not expressly um, clarified in the, in the Baptist faith and message. Maybe it's a particular style of ministry or a style of church. And those are important to us, and there's nothing that's there's nothing wrong with those being important to us. But how do we keep secondary issues secondary so that these things are not causes of division in the body of Christ, so that we can have we can have the right kind of unity even in the midst of of you know um, divergence on the secondary things? I think um, you know when I, I talk about gospel being above all, what we're talking about is um, you know, what Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen that the gospel is of first importance. Um, first importance means there were other important things. But Paul said, this is what is of first importance, and we want to have unity um, you know, on those. So that's that's going to be the second panel. I've got some guys that um, you may be different on a couple of these areas and say, how do we keep how do we keep unity in the midst of, of some of this? And then um, the third panel is called Indispensable Partners, the Value of Women in God's Mission. And that is a question that I've uh, I've known was here in the SBC for a while. Um, I've been amazed, Jonathan, at how people have responded to this and how much input I've gotten and how excited, honestly, people are about this conversation um, being raised. And that is within a complementarian structure, meaning that, you know, we believe that God, while he created men and women equal, he gave them equal gifts. He assigned them to different roles within that, within that structure, which 
you know, is expressly endorsed in the Baptist faith and message. Um, what does it look like to treat women as equal sisters and equal partners in the gospel? What does it look like to be as committed to empowering them as we are to um, our brothers and our sons? Um, one of the, you know, one of the, the fallouts, you might say, of um, some versions of complementarianism is basically a church where men do all the important work and, and women just, you know, sit to the sideline and support and those you know, types of things. And, and we, you're saying, well, I mean, God gave his church to be a unified body where there are sisters of great wisdom and uh, spiritual mothers in the church. And they have a lot that they're to contribute and not just to sit on the, uh, on the sidelines. So what does that look like in our training structures and our empowerment structures? Again, none of this is done with, you know, even a question about, about the biblical teaching of complementarianism. It's just in our zeal for complementarianism, sometimes we've been focused more on what women can't do than on what they can and must do. And uh, so just raising that and, and asking, you know, what does this look like going forward? Last question. Uh, what is your prayer for Southern Baptists in Birmingham this year? Well, not to repeat talking points, Amy, but I'm praying. I have been praying down these um, six agendas that God has given me. I've been praying that we really will be a people that have the gospel above all. That when we leave Birmingham, we'll say we're a people known for and identified by united by committed to the gospel that we will have renewed our commitment to personal evangelism. If anything is going to change these um, uh, ACP numbers, it's going to be because ordinary Southern Baptist people um, just get in the habit of sharing the gospel with, with friends and family and neighbors that um, we would be um, a, a convention that was committed to sending, sending out our best to plant new churches in the United States and around the world um, that we would be a convention that would um, significantly mobilize its younger it's college and young uh, professional generation. Every revival and awakening in our history has come through the mobilization and the passion of that, of that generation. And just saying to them, it's time for you to make decisions about your career and your life so that they count for the kingdom of God. Um, to be, uh, you know, to, to, to leave having taken significant steps forward in understanding um, what is in the heart of our brothers and sisters of color, to, um, to acknowledge wrongdoing where we've had it, to, uh, to be as committed to seeing them prosper in the body of Christ as we are to see anybody else prosper. Um, and then uh, to see a kind of a new, a renewed commitment of, uh, of all ages of Southern Baptists to, uh, uh, to own this convention and to own its ministries. That's what I've been praying. Um, I've been praying that we would, uh, that, that there would just be, um, you know, even more simply, there'd be a renewed commitment to reaching people, whatever it takes. There'd be a commitment to discipling them. And there'd be a, a renewed passion for sending um, all of our, our, our members. So um, I know, Roz, that was a lot. And I wasn't clean bullet points the way you like it, Amy. But if that's, that's the general gist of. <laughs> you did uh, okay. Okay. All right. Thanks. You did okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us this week on SPC This Week. We look forward to seeing you in Birmingham, praying for you and everything that's ahead for you and the summit. And we'll see you in Birmingham. Thanks. See you guys in Birmingham. Lord willing. All right. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to post that. It helped to get me ready for the annual meeting coming up. Absolutely. And that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. I'm going to go to 1955 to a sort of a, a guide that had been put out for the media. And it was very interesting. Baptist Press uh, with Albert McClellan, who was the press representative at the time, uh, put out something. They called it, I thought it was interesting, a guide for newspaper men. That's what they didn't say reporters, didn't say media, just said newspaper men. So I'm just going to leave that out there. Uh, and it says, to help you accurately report the Southern Baptist Convention, we respectfully submit the following Baptist terminology which we trust will be of value to you. And uh, then it said, what's interesting is it looks like they put this out. They didn't release it broadly until after the convention, maybe, or they wrote down the date wrong. But it still is interesting to read this. They, they dropped it on May 30th, 1955, it says. Things like, it is never the Baptist church, except when it refers to one particular church. It is Baptist. It is the Baptist churches or Southern Baptist churches, things like that. The title of the convention is Southern Baptist Convention, not Southern Baptist General Convention or Southern Baptist Convention of Churches. The convention has sessions, not meetings or conferences. Um, it, you know, talks about we send messengers, not delegates, representatives, or spokesmen. It's this long list of 
14 different um, tips for the guide for newspapermen. And here's where it says it looks like they were, they had put the wrong date. This is interesting. It looks like the special release came out and then Albert McClellan made some notes that they needed to change the date to uh, a later time. So you actually see his notes at the bottom of this issue, giving some corrections to the report. Uh, but it's just kind of interesting because it was this little set of tips on if you're going to cover us, do it right. I just thought it was interesting. So if we have any members of the media, you can look at this and see, at least in 1955, what Baptist terminology was, how you should have covered us. A few things do carry over. It's sessions, you know, that not meetings or conferences, that we send messengers, not delegates, things like that. But it, it's it's kind of an interesting little piece. So we're, we are preparing for, I think there will be a lot of media that are in Birmingham and possibly more than usual just because of the conversations surrounding abuse. And uh, But they were preparing for the media as well in 1955, this week in SBC history. This reminds me of the notes that media get for the masters, where you don't call, oh, yeah. them, you don't call them crowds, you call them patrons, where it's not the front nine and back nine, it's the first nine and the second nine, and, and right. things like that. It's the second cut, not the rough. Those kind of things. So the Masters has very particular media guidelines for its terminology. So this that's what this reminds me of. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is an interview I did with the guys over at Not Another Baptist podcast this week. So they had me on to talk about the annual meeting and everything going on with that. They begged me to make their little SBC jingle thing that they made a uh, resource of the week, but I refuse to do that. So I'll just make the interview that instead. So uh, go check that out. Uh, we talked about the annual meeting and things I'm looking forward to, things they're looking forward to. And uh, those guys have been a lot of fun to get to know over the past couple of years. We had them on the CP stage last year, talked about podcasting and different things like that. So a good interview with them. Amy, your resource of the week is? Uh, mine is a book that is coming out in August. You can pre-order it. It's called We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. This is actually by Mary DeMuth, who is a Southern Baptist uh, in lives in Texas. And she is this year, I believe, a member of the current uh, Credentials Committee, which is just the, the one that functions as it normally has. So uh, she will be serving in that capacity, will be a messenger there. And I have not gotten to see this yet, but I think we're going to try to interview her about the book after the SBC annual meeting is over. But you can go ahead and pre-order it now. So I want to point people in that direction. The title will be released on August 13th, 2019. And it really is focusing on um, how the church can be a place of justice and healing for everyone. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the show this week. Don't forget to get ready. Bring an extra bag, like Amy talked about in the annual meeting preview episode. Bring an extra bag to the SBC annual meeting for all the stuff that you get for free. All the stuff from the exhibit hall, the different events that you go to, including the new book from Dr. Moeller that they're giving away at the Southern booth. So be sure to check that out. Get one of those 500 free copies that they're giving away. Probably have to get there bright and early on Monday because those will go quickly. But Amy, I know we've only got one show left before the annual meeting. So we'll see you next week. See you next week. Mm -hmm.